Chris, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here this morning. Oh, well, thank you very much, Lance. Yeah, it's yeah. good to be here, uh, Lance. Where were you born? Well, I was born in Canada, in Rocky Mountain House, Alberta, which is near Calgary. Okay. And you, you, you stayed there the majority of your no adolescent life or what? No, I don't really have any memory of Rocky Mountain House so okay. much. My family moved to northern Alberta, and then I lived in Saskatoon from the time I was about 13 or 14. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now tell me, in Canada, I, I, I know Canada generally, mm -hmm. where is it? Is it is that more mid or is that more the east? It's, it's north mm -hmm. of... Uh, Montana, North oh, Okay, Dakota. so it's right in the mid. It's mid. Yeah. Do you have siblings? Yes, I have w one of five children. One of five children. And where are you ranked? I'm the youngest. Okay, tell me what's above. What's the first number? First one's a girl, boy, or? I have uh, three brothers and one sister. And where, where are they ranked? Number one is? Well, they're all older than me, but right. yeah, my, the directly older than me is my sister. Mm -hmm. And then I have three older brothers. Who's above that? Are you guys close? Fairly, I guess, yeah. How many years between you and your oldest brother? Eleven. Eleven years? Yeah. Are you the only one that's left Canada? Are they still there? Uh, well, my brother Dave lives in Minnesota and uh, uh, Palm Springs. He divides up his time. Obviously, it's Palm Springs in the winter in yeah. Minnesota. How many years did you say there between you and your oldest brother? You said eleven? Between eleven, you, eleven years difference, yeah. and then oh. ten. And then I think my other yeah. brother's six years older than me, and my sister is uh, three or four years older three, than three, I. Okay. Yeah. Are you close with her? Uh, a little bit. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, growing up, tell me, Chris, growing up, were you more academic as a child, elementary and junior high school, or were you more physical? I was always very academic. Yeah. You were. Yeah. So, what'd you do, like? What did you like doing as a kid? I mean, did you read a lot? Did you, I mean, did you I read, read a quite lot? a lot. Yeah. Did you? Okay, yeah. what kind of books did you like to read? Uh, almost everything. Yeah. Really? You had nothing that you preferred over, uh, over like sci-fi versus... I didn't really drama. read science fiction. I mean, mostly I read the books that were in my house that my mother kind of picked out. I would read pretty much, pretty much anything. Okay. Yeah. So what kind of work did your father do? My father is an Anglican priest. Oh, is he? Yes. So you grew up in Anglican church, I imagine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what was that? Tell me what that was like for you. I mean, what do you remember? Because you're the last child. They, let me say this. First of all, your parents mm -hmm. were well trained by the time you came along. And I don't think that it, you, know, you would have gotten the least amount of attention, maybe a little bit at the beginning. But the oldest boy is now, you know, they were going through so many people living their lives now, and you're at the very bottom. Your sister, no, she was too young to take care of you. And your brother, I don't think they'd have him doing it. Yeah. Well, it would be interesting. So I see. <laughs> you know, no, I'm just thinking about the dynamics of a family. Wow. Am I pretty correct? Uh, uh, well, yeah, I mean, they'd kind of given up on uh, the discipline. You are on your own, basically. Uh, yeah, well, my mother would, uh, she'd uh, discipline my brother with a wooden spoon, but then it, it broke, and then she gave up on it. <laughs> Just in time. How old were you when that happened? How old were you when that happened? Well, I can remember it, so I can't be that old. It was okay. three or four. Okay. Yeah. 
But I think after seeing a couple of your brother your brothers being disciplined, you forget, hey, whatever they're doing, I'm gonna make sure I try not to do it. If I remember properly, both of my my oldest brothers had left home when I was before I was about when I was five. I didn't really grow up with them. So it means your oldest brother would have been sixteen. If you were five and he's eleven years older, he would have been sixteen years old when he left. Uh well maybe I'm off a bit. So I guess okay. it would have been six or seven or something. Okay. Right. Something around there. Right. So they left when they were in their late teens. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My, Did they go off into service or something or they just left home? No, my my brother went to a private school in my second oldest brother went to a private school in Winnipeg and then my oldest brother went to the a technical school, the Alberta School of the Northern Alberta School of Technology. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nate. Yeah. Are your parents still alive? No. Or both of them passed? Yes. Okay. They stayed together the whole time? Yes. They did? Oh. So, I mean, were they close in age by any chance, or was there a big difference in their age? Yeah, they were relatively close in age. My father was born in 1929, so my mother was born in 19, uh, I think she was born in 1932, so okay. they were pretty close in age. Yeah, because yeah. your father's a year older than my mother. My mother's still alive, so your oh. father would have been 95 now. Yeah. Yeah, 95, because she's 94. She'd be oh. 95 this year. So Chris, when you so growing up, do you remember anything that, that really impresses you now that you always go back to when you think about yourself as a young kid? How did you see how do you see yourself as a little kid? Who would be on the playground now if you looked on the playground, who who would you identify with? The guy in the corner sitting down with his books? <laughs> or I don't know. It's very kind of abstract because uh until I went to Saskatoon, which is a major city, at least by Canadian standards, it would be a big city. I think now it's about 250,000 people. But at the time I lived there, I th when I first moved there, I think it was about a hundred, maybe 130 or something like that. And you were coming from, how big was the place you were coming from? Well, I moved from Fort McMurray, Alberta, which at that time was a very kind of wild place. That's where they have the tar sands, the oil sands. Mm -hmm. is centered there. I don't know if you heard about the Canadian oil no. sands. No. So that's like about the largest deposit of oil in the world, next, I mean, next to Saudi Arabia. Okay. But it's difficult to use because it's in the sand. Exactly. Right, yeah. so they have to just, just they, take the sand away from it. It's processed, yeah. Right. So, yeah. so, and it's a real, yeah, it's yeah. very expensive to do So that. that didn't start until like the, the OPEC crisis, after, after the OPEC crisis in about 1970. They began to think about using this oil sand. And uh, we moved to Fort McMurray, I think it was in 1976. And at that time, the population was maybe 10,000. And by the time we left in about 1980 or 81, the population was about 30,000. So it like tripled in that time. So there's like always building going on. <laughs> and it's extremely far north. <laughs> So very cold. Extremely cold. I think that's the coldest temperature I experienced when I was there was it went to minus, I think it went to minus 44. Celsius? Yeah. And they closed, they closed the school. <laughs> you couldn't go to school. Uh, you probably couldn't have gotten in it if you went there. It was frozen. So, so, wait, so the town that, before you moved to this town of 
10,000. How big was the place you came from? Oh, that was a small town as well. That was a Everybody I, knew everyone? I li well, yeah, that that was my first memory when I lived in Athabasca. Oh, okay. That's a rural very kind of rural area. It's a How farm, many kids were in your school? Area. How many kids were in your school? Or did people go to school? Were they homeschooled? No, no, no. We we had okay, schools. Okay. <laughs> right. Um I, I don't know, maybe a few hundred. I I'm not I don't really have that clear of a memory of it other than as I said it wasn't you know urban environment mm -hmm. it's surrounded by by farms and I think most of the area we, we lived in was uh, it was very rural and uh, my one kind of memory because I, I had didn't really think about it but I don't really think about it that much but I kept a rabbit would how old are you at this time I think I would be about four okay three or four yeah about four years old. Yeah. Four or five years old. Well, we kept the rabbit, and then like the my mother didn't think we kept it very well. So she was at the time she was teaching at a Hutterite colony. So the Hutterites are like they're like the Amish, except that they use modern equipment, but they're isolated. From so they, they they'll have a car. They can use a radio. They can do no radio. So no media, but they do use the yeah. like they'll use a saw, yeah. they'll use a power saw. Yeah. They'll have yeah. a motorcycle or a car no, so they to get around. Well they're quite advanced with their agricultural techniques. Okay. So unlike the Amish, they don't use like old plows and things like right. that. they right. they use combines and and anyway, so she she was Do they still they're still there? They still exist there? Apparently I heard there's a Hutterite colony. My friend sent me a link saying there's a Hutterite colony in in uh, Nasser, in Tochigi, but I, I don't. <laughs> I, I, Here, <laughs> yeah, I didn't really. Wait, wait, look, they, I haven't looked like, into it. That are Canadian or are these Japanese? That's, you can based on a Hutter, uh, yeah, Canadian Hutterite colony. So I, I, I mean, I don't have an extensive knowledge of their religion, but essentially, I guess they left. I, I think they were founded by John Hutter. So that's why they're the Hutterites. Yeah, I've as never opposed heard of, to never the, heard of that religion. So as opposed to the Mennonites, who were founded by Simon Men Menno. Can't quite remember. Okay. There's a lot of these religious groups in uh, in Canada because they, they were encouraged to come out because we they needed people who would be able to settle on the prairies. So they had to be people with a kind of a strong <laughs> commitment. It's a very extreme environment that uh, I think it's interesting because the Japanese always go to like uh, Banff or you know in the, in the Rockies or right, they go yeah. to Vancouver. Right. And sometimes they go to Niagara Falls. A lot of them go to Prince Edward Island for the Green Gables mm -hmm. things. But I would say the prairie is a completely radically different experience and climate compared to Japan <laughs> or anywhere for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> so when you grew up there, how long were you there? In that area? Well, I guess I lived in I lived in Athabasca, I guess, for about five years, and I lived in Fort McMurray for about another five years, and then after that, I just lived in uh, I was living in Saskatoon. Okay, this is when you what junior high, high school? Well, they don't they don't have junior high, but um, I mean, how's the schooling go? So I, I was kind of fortunate that way because their high, the high school starts in grade nine. So I got there and I was in grade nine. So that was kind of good because everybody was kind of new. I 
I didn't have to break in to oh, develop to kind of okay. <laughs> relationships or whatever. So, mm -hmm. and then elementary school goes up to grade eight. Mm -hmm. So they just have the two. They don't have jun junior highs. Oh, and, I see. I see. Yeah. Right. And but you get out. Do you go? You go to the twelfth grade. Yes. Right. And usually most people are eighteen years old unless mm -hmm. they come in early in the seventeen. Yeah. So after that, when you finished school, did you go into college? No, I, w I went uh, on a rotary exchange. I went to Matsumoto. That was the first time I That's, came to Japan. So. Was that the first time to be leaving Canada? Or did you left Canada prior to that? Well, pretty much. I mean, I'd been to Washington State, and I've been in, I was in, I'd been to Montana. Just went down south, yeah. Yeah, but I'd, yeah, I'd never been in any major U.S. city or anything. Right, right. Yeah, just on the border. I visited my brother because before he was living in, in Grand Forks. Okay. And it's not that much different, you know, than living in, in, in Canada. You know, the weather's different, though. No, it's, a, it's pretty, it's, it's, a, pretty it's, it's very similar. It's very similar. It's, it's on the prairie. So okay. it's basically, it's, it's very similar. That's why he moved. <clears throat> that's why he moved down there. Well, they recruited him as a doctor. So your brother's a doctor? He's a surgeon. Now, this is the oldest? The second oldest. Second oldest. How, are all of your siblings alive and doing well? Yes, they're all alive and doing, doing well. So yes. the oldest, what does he do? Well, now he's doing uh, what they call, he's a, a picker. I guess that's what they call it now. <laughs> well, he, I'm imagine, I can imagine. He, he, he worked, well, he worked as a surveyor, but I guess he never really liked that so much. So now, basically, he goes around to like flea markets or you know uh, secondhand stores and garage sales and things, and he finds little different things and then he resells them, oh, Furn see. furniture, oh, okay. oh. knickknacks, and things oh, like I see, that. I see, I see, yeah. I see. Yeah. So he can tell. So he does his homework and he knows what has value, what doesn't, and he goes in there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now he knows. I mean, yeah. he was doing it as a hobby for quite a long time, okay. and now that's I guess kind of his profession. That's interesting. Does he have a family? Uh, he's married. Okay. He doesn't have any children. Okay, okay. So your second brother, who's the doctor, yes, he's now in the states. Yes, right. And does he have a family? Yes, he has two children. Two children. Okay. Yeah. okay. Then your next brother after that, there's one more. There's yeah. One more than a sister than you. Yeah. Right. So the next brother, what's he doing? He works in um, construction. In Canada. Yes, he stayed up. He stayed close by where you grew up. Well, he lives in Edmonton, so I guess that would be close to where I grew up. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And your sister, does she stay in Canada? She lives in Saskatoon. Okay. Yeah. So she still stayed there. Yeah. 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 Were your your parents were there until they passed? Yeah, they lived in Saskatoon. That was the last place. Yeah. Because it's interesting. I'm just going on what I find to be um, common among the people I interview, and just from the time I've Mm -hmm. lived here. Most people tend to go wherever their wives live. You know, girls tend to come close to home. Okay. That's what they tend to find. If they had a good if good relationship at home. If they didn't, they stay as far away as possible. <laughs> but, but, so she went there. And was she, is she married and have kids? Yes, she's married. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I'm saying. But I bet you he's not from there. He's from around. He's from like rural Saskatchewan. Oh, is he? Yeah. Okay. Right. So he's he went to the University of Saskatchewan, mm -hmm. and you know that part. But like I can't remember exactly where he's from, but 
he's from rural Saskatchewan. I see. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's so, kind of the divide. You came over here out of high, straight out of high school. Yes. I guess 17, 18? Were you 18 when you came here? I guess, I, yeah, I was 18. Okay, Rotary. And mm-hmm. you went to where? You Matsumoto. Said? Matsumoto. And how long do they, was this for three months or four? For one year. One year? Yeah. And you were to teach English? No. Who were you supposed to do? I was an exchange student. Okay, so you went to school. Yeah. To high school there? Yeah. I mean, I guess sometimes I would, you know, they would have me kind of do, I guess, what's known now as the ALT thing. as a, a high school student. Right. Yeah. Did you have, was the school had a uniform and everything too? Yes. Were you the only foreigner? I was almost the only foreigner in Matsumoto, Matsumoto at that time. Yeah. What year was There were some missionaries. What year was this? 1985-86. Okay. I got married in 86. Yeah. So there were some missionaries mm-hmm. who lived there. Right. That was still a good time in Japan because before the bubble. And people had money like crazy. Yeah. Well, that was just so. starting because they, they yeah. had the, the G5 summit and they reevaluated the yen right. just when I got here. But that didn't stop you from spending. spending. They were still doing what they did. I mean, it was beautiful. <laughs> Those times were good. At least in Tokyo, they were good. Well, yeah. I think what I found interesting from that era I was talking about with a friend of mine recently is they, at that time, there was no nostalgia in Japan. Like, now there's nostalgia. <laughs> because where I lived in Canada, it was like all the shows would be about, they weren't about the era mostly we're living in. They'd be about like the 60s or the 50s, like Happy Days or you know, the right, Wonder Years or something like that. It wouldn't be, but in Japan, I guess there's, uh, later there's, I guess there's like Chibi Maruko-chan, but generally, on Sazai-san, which is Sazai-san. kind of like an anachronistic. Right. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's it's kind of a strange program that way because I think it's supposed to be in the present, but they live like they were in early Showa. That's right. Yeah. Post war. Yeah. Yeah. That's why yeah, there's this. Sure. That's why there's the age gap. Right. Between okay. Sazai's son and, and that's where they're living together and everything. And yeah, and I couldn't something. figure that out at first. Right. I didn't understand that that's his sister. Right. <laughs> that's right. Not his mother. Yeah, I was thinking that's his mother, but no. no. <laughs> that's because of that time. It's that time, and that's yeah. most definitely post-war. Yeah. And I don't know, the, you don't want to be too nostalgic if you don't win. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think it's something they want to think about too much. So there's ah. a big, you see what I'm saying? There's a big gap there. Mm, yeah, I, so, I, I wasn't really, cons- I didn't really consider that, but I just, I mean. And, they're, was, and they're not proud of the fact that the country was so militaristic at the time. Yeah. They had a momentum stop. They don't even want to talk. It's very like being going to Germany. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. They don't want to talk. That part is just, nope, we don't, what, who? They don't want to talk about it. So that's, let's not talk about it now. Anyway, so let's, <laughs> let's go on. Let's go on to the next thing. Let's not talk about that now. Well. Um, I, well, I didn't really, I didn't really take it that way. I just thought, you know, they're very future oriented. They were looking forward to the future. They yeah, were not. You do going skip it. Yeah, they yep. were not thinking about nope. the past. <laughs> right. They want to let that go. Forget that one. <laughs> That's all. Another. We don't want to talk about it. You're right. You're one hundred percent right, Chris. They do not like to. They like talking about the future. Yeah. Well. Well, though no, now <laughs> there is nostalgia, but it, I mean, of course it's, it's not. Only up to, it's only up to the post-war. Um, if it's about that, they talk a little bit about the bubble time 
or prior to that? Yeah, I mean, they kind of have a rose-colored view of the pre-war period. Not, not during okay. the war, but the pre, okay. pre-war period, they, they kind of have a rose-colored view of it. If they, they, when they touch up on it, yeah. Well, I mean, they have some shows which are based kind of uh, pre, pre-war, you know, mm-hmm. the, in the Meiji period or in the, right. the, the Showa period. Right. 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 But, and of course, there's, I think they've had quite a few things about basically in the, you know, the high growth period. The 1960s. I think that's what they're nostalgic for now. It's kind of a high growth, right? right. <coughs> the high growth era. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Right. Yeah. So, Crystal, when you went to Matsumoto, your year there, what was it like? Well, first of all, coming to Japan. Why did you pick Japan? That was based on kind of the choice of countries that I had when I, because you you applied to be on the Rotary Exchange, and at that time you're not assigned a country. You just apply and be accepted to be on the Rotary Exchange. So I had a choice of, I couldn't go to Australia because I was I was too old. 18 was too old. Australia has a different school system, so okay. it, it doesn't fit, I guess. And I wasn't really interested in going to Australia in any case. And then the other popular destination was Belgium because they had no Rotary Exchange with France. And so a lot of people wanted to go to Belgium so they could work on their French. So in, because in Canada, that's you know, if you want to be if you want to be in the civil service, I see. you have if you want to advance, you have to be able to speak French in the federal right. civil service. Right. Had you thought about doing that? No, okay. <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I I wasn't really interested in. Uh, Civil uh, service. It, well, no, I wasn't interested in learning French. Yeah. I have to say, <laughs> uh, which I, I I kind of regret. I I had a lot of opportunities to learn French, but I didn't really think about learning a second language, or it wasn't much on my mind. Mm. Uh, one of the lucky things that happened to me at when I was in high school is. We had actually we had two we had two teachers who were qualified to teach Latin. So we were the I think it was about the only high school in Saskatchewan that offered Latin. Mm-hmm. So I took Latin. Is that right? Yeah. From what from what grade to which grade? You did it from more than from, a year? I took it from grade nine and one of the advantages of it would be you you could finish both eleven and twelve in one year. So I finished eleven and grade eleven and grade twelve when I was in grade eleven. Wow! So because gave, of, because you were taking Latin, they gave me an extra spare period when I was in grade twelve. Mm-hmm. See what I, what I didn't understand about language learning was uh, compared to other things, it requires more discipline. I guess you would understand. <laughs> It's something you've got to work at regularly. But my methodology of studying was basically I would cram. I could quickly memorize things. Mm-hmm. So that would, but it didn't really work for language because you can't just, you can't learn all your French vocabulary <laughs> the night before or but like a couple Latin. of days before. You were doing Latin. Yeah, but see, the, yeah. what I found out about Latin, well, first, the one thing was the way my the teacher taught it would be she taught it like the old style, which is you would just, she would just have us like chant, Amola mas amant, amamas amamas amant, you know, I, I love, you love, you plural love, and then they love. Okay. 
So that's the con basic conjugation of the Latin verb. Okay. And so we would just kind of chant these things. So I didn't really have to in the beginning. And then what I learned later was, because this was the, this is the classic kind of British style of teaching Latin. So then when you get to the higher level, what you do is you read sections from the speeches of Cicero or the Aeneid in Latin, by, by Virgil in, in Latin. Yes. So what I learned there was you could memorize it in English. You could memorize the English part and if you knew, if you just know enough to know where it's beginning, then you can just write it from memory, the English. Because they would say translate this part. Oh, that's what you had yeah. to do. Yeah, you go translate this part and I go, okay, that starts there. So. I sing of arms in the man who first from the shores of Troy, blah, 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 blah. I hear, I hear, I hear, I got it, I got it yeah, now. Yeah, that's, that's the start of uh, the, the Aeneid. But you never had to write it in Latin. Now, what no, if they no, reversed no. it? What if they flipped it? That's would have been, that would have taught you something. Yeah, that would have. <laughs> that would have taught you something. Got you out the class real quick. <laughs> that would have, so I see, I see what you're saying. Yes, I yeah, got that. I yeah, got that. Yeah. So that's, wow. it kind of fit in more. But it was, it kind of saved me when I, came to Japan mm. because I understood grammar and I understood like you could have a language where you know like in Japanese where the verb comes at the end that's because right. that's the same as in in Latin they put the verb at the oh, end they do. Okay. so, they, so it's it, very easy for you yeah. well I wouldn't say I mean easy but at least you, you, you no no but I wouldn't say it was very easy for you know, me, no what but, I'm trying to say yeah. Chris is that the concept wasn't new to you but for other people that have never gone through the concept of having the verb at the end they yeah. find it really confusing so you are through Latin you already knew that's po that's possible first of all, and still to learn it and to go through that was good. I didn't do very well in French. The problem was I just basically didn't see any point to it because I wasn't planning on going into the civil service or anything. I mm -hmm. mean, I, I regret that I, I I had you know very good opportunities. There's lots of opportunities in Canada mm -hmm. to learn French. I mean, it gives me a great sympathy because people always say you know for Japan or oh, why don't they learn more English but coming from Canada I can understand that it's it's not so I mean it's easily said and you would think oh well they have all these incentives to do it but if you look at Canada so when they passed the official languages act in early 70s the intended goal at that time was for Canada to, to become like a completely bilingual nation I think initially they had some success and so the, the initially the number of bilingual people increased from 25%. I mean, I, I don't know if there was the exact figures, but it went up to a high, I think it got up to about 35%. But that was primarily based on people whose native language was French. So oh, I see. Learning English. English, right. It was Very few around. English speakers learn, actually learned French. French. Right. So I can kind of understand and especially because you know I guess this is not well understood outside of Canada but you know there's the the book about Quebec and uh, the rest of Canada which is called the two solitudes which it really is so I most people in Canada I, I have no idea about you know I mean I guess Celine Dion came from Quebec she might be the most famous Quebecois in all of Canada <laughs> because <laughs> her and maybe uh, you know Pierre Trudeau and maybe Rennie Levesque, but mostly people don't know anyone from Quebec. Yeah. We don't know anything right. about their culture, mm -hmm. and they don't really. I mean, I guess it would be 
they would tend to know more about English oh, yeah, Canada. Because the majority of Canada is English. Yeah, that's but there's still, I guess it's even there, they're still kind of focused on their culture. Right. I remember I was very shocked because when I was at the University of Hokkaido, they had a professor of literature come in to talk about Canadian literature. And then he started off by saying that I'm not going to talk about Quebec literature because it's a separate tradition. I'm only going to talk about Canadian. <laughs> the Eng when I say Canadian literature, I mean Canadian English I understand literature. Right. Yeah. I understand mean, right. He, he was probably lucky that nobody from Quebec was there at the time. Had well, they no. been? Yeah. I, I don't, well, no, I think they... He didn't see it, didn't see it in an offensive way. He was just no, saying that's, that's just the way... Just yeah, the way that's is. just the, the way... Um, <laughs> that's just the way it is. Um, right. It's unusual. Well, the Quebec writers generally don't want to write in English, and therefore, you know, they're not going to get read <laughs> outside of Quebec. That's right. So tell so, me this, Chris. So when you came over, you went to Matsumoto, you stayed there for a year, you went mm -hmm. to school. What was that like? How'd you do with your, how'd your Japanese turn out? I'd heard like, well, it's really hard to learn Japanese. And then I heard like most people, they learn it, but then, you know, they never use it and they lose it, right? I mean, I, I read this book by Donald Keene, it was his uh, autobiography, I believe, and we, where he talked to some people and they said, no, I've totally forgotten all my Japanese. I can't imagine how that would exactly work. I mean, if you reached a level of fluency, it, it, think it would, some of it would come back to you. It's like riding a bicycle. You'd have it. Yeah. Have well, it. anyway, I, I basically kind of questioned what would be the value of learning the Japanese. Well, you, you mean, wait, wait, when you came over here? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You came, wait, wait, hold on. Now, when you, <laughs> now, you had never, had you ever dealt with anyone from Japan prior to coming here? Not particularly. Had no. you ever seen anyone? In your area? There weren't many Asians that you were dealing with at all. I can remember the first time I heard about Japan was when I was in grade three. They played, they showed us a movie, and it must have been from the 1960s because it started out with Edwin Reichauer talking about like how he just got stabbed by a right, right, ultra rightist. So it mm -hmm. must have been from about like 1962 or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the first time. And yeah. you were three I years old. In grade three, so when, grade I was three? In, when I was in grade three, grade three yeah. okay, right. so that was kind of wow. like, you know, because well, Canadian, like the Canadian social studies is very different from the United States. So we don't teach, you don't really learn anything about Canadian history until you're in grade 12. Is that right? Grade 12 is, fo is the first focus on Canadian history. Outside that's prior to that is the world. We yeah we tend to look at the kind other of world countries. world history world other view. countries right. yeah. Well, as I said, it wasn't. I have to preface it wasn't like. Well, I had kind of one good idea, which was I specifically didn't read any books about Japan or anything before I came to Japan because I thought I should just experience it for myself, and not rely on what. Somebody, which which at that time was good because there's a lot of really just ridiculous stuff. I guess still is about, written about Japan. Written about Japan. I think I finally went after I was there a few months. I think I read Edwin Reichhauser's The Japanese, so that was kind of more you know neutral. Right. And I also, oh, I think that wasn't. Was that when I was in Japan? I read Ruth Benedict's The Chrysanthemum and the Sword. Well, I think, no, I think I, think I did read that in Japan because like a friend of mine from Canada encouraged me to read it. Okay. 
Yeah. So tell me what happened after Matsumoto. You're there for a year. Mm -hmm. What happened then? Well, then I went to I went to university at the University of Saskatchewan. Okay, so then yeah. you did go into college. Yes, I did. To study what? I, well, I studied history. What? Yeah. Just reg regular history, European or well, it's what Asian we would. History? Well, in order to satisfy my parents, I, we, I called it pre-law. Well, it turned out that I did go to law school eventually. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, they, I called they, it. I they called were really it, trying to get you to become a lawyer. Uh, they wanted me to be some kind. I think they wanted me to be some kind of profession, some kind of professional. Okay. Yeah. Be it even if it was academic, even if you were like a, a well, they professor were, or something. Well, they weren't really so pushy that way. But although I think thinking back on it, I find it kind of strange because I, I just assumed that I would go to university. I never had any ideas like to do anything like. What, what else would you do? Like, it's just like, <laughs> well, it was kind of also the school I went to. I think, like, the classes I was in used, I think almost almost everybody went to university. Okay. Yeah. So, so it was an expected. Yeah. yeah. I, I never really, that was the track mm -hmm. that I was on. I never really considered to do yes. Anything else? And yeah, I think I believe yes. I registered as 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 pre law. Okay. As would you graduate with? I, I graduated with a, a BA in history. Business. Okay. Yeah, but I also have Business. a I also have a JD and, okay. and an LLM. So right. I spent most of my twenties in in school in academic institutions. Yeah. So you wait. So you you stayed in. You did what? Eight years or six years of college? Well, after, you, after you graduated first, well, it, in Saskatchewan, it, at the University of Saskatchewan, you could do a BA in three years. BA, BA, in three years. Yeah, and okay. the reason I did it in three years is because I wanted to get onto the the jet program. The jet program had just started at that time. All right. Yeah. So, and it, it, that was that was also very interesting because I applied to be the coordinator for international relations. Right. How did that turn out? Well, I became a coordinator for international relations, so I guess it was good. Okay. It was very interesting because uh, I went to the interview, and I'm glad I did it then because I don't, I don't know how how I could do it now. Why? Is <laughs> well, because they asked me a lot of stuff about Canada, which I wouldn't have on like you know, like. But you haven't been in Canada, for yeah. A, you but, know, how yeah. would you? <laughs> <laughs> well, they asked me all these questions, like because well, because you were supposed right. to kind of be an ambassador for Canada, for Canada and, right? And of so, course. like, yes. yeah, they asked me, like, oh, could you name three books okay. to introduce Canada to people, or these kind of. Did you know about these questions prior to you? I had no idea what the what questions, they were going to ask. I had okay. no idea what oh, the questions wow. would be, but the key thing was that I think got me in was a bunch of people had, I don't know why, but I guess they lied and said I know Japanese because I guess they thought there'd be like no Japanese. <laughs> they were going to test them. Well, they're testing you at the person. they're testing you at the Japanese consulate, so I don't, I don't really know why they would lie about that. Well, oh, at the time, you know, like 1985, like people, yeah. the Japan was a very kind of unheard of and place. So. And so I guess people thought, you know, I'll just say like I can speak Japanese or maybe some of them could speak a little Japanese. But yeah, I guess none of them could read Japanese because they gave me this children's book. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, Mukashi, Mukashi, Oba-san to Oji-san ga imashita. <laughs> and and they, they were like... Whoa, Whoa. Blown away, boy. You, you could oh you can actually you you can actually read Japanese yeah because yeah. I taught myself to so after anyway after I got over this mis, kind of misstep of 
thinking I didn't want to learn Japanese. The reason I mentioned that was so they decided, oh, well, we won't teach you Japanese. Oh, good. Because they'd have to get a teacher like to teach, teach me Japanese. And previously, I guess, you know, they didn't want to do it. So they go, oh, good. Well, then we can just leave you on your own. I think turned out to be the better way because, you know, when you learn something on your own, you really value it. <laughs> Not just that, or you don't, you get it, you learn it up over or out. Yeah, that's yeah. on the job training. Yeah. You, you had no choice. You well, to it took me, well, they gave me a textbook, and that was the other <laughs> thing, which was it was totally divorced from the speech I was hearing around me because it, it started out with Oginki the sky. It's like nobody's, nobody says that. I, I, nobody, like, no one ever says that. <laughs> I go, like, oh, wow, I'm, I've never heard this work. You Where know? is it used? And I remember yeah. like somebody said Ginki, and I said, uh, okay, some of the Ginki this. And they were like, what? What's he, what? What's he, <laughs> what's he talking to? Well, I mean, it's, I mean, I guess you can't go wrong, but I mean, that's like, you yeah. know, the very, yeah. it was this very high level. Kego, yeah. Yeah, it was this, they started with this Kego. I, I mean, at the time, I guess maybe you would know, it's, it was like, I just remember there's like this text. This textbook or some kind of, yeah, it was some kind of textbook and it was sold on the basis of it is actually possible to learn Japanese. Do you remember that? They I had, think I kind of do, yeah. Yeah, yeah they had that, like yeah, this, right. I don't know right, what right. the book was. Right. I, think, I think I remember Because <laughs> it was considered right. to be it's difficult, yeah. yeah it almost was, impossible. Yeah, but the good thing that I did was because I did it on my own, I decided I would learn to read Japanese. And they said, you're just completely wasting your time because no foreigners ever learn to read Japanese. These are the foreigners telling you this. No, this is the Japanese people telling tell me that. that. They would just like, kind of laugh at me. It's like, but it's not going to happen. Yeah. Well, um, I could. I believe I learned to read because I had a lot of time on my hands. So, like in, within the first few weeks, I learned to read hiragana and katakana. That's all it takes for that. Yeah. 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 Hiragana, katakana. Yeah. So, so I get into the kanji. I put myself into it, and yeah, the kanji was you know kind of a. An uphill struggle, but I, I think I'd learned like about maybe two hundred okay. at the end. I think that was very useful because uh, very few people could read at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I later found out, like the, the for because of Edwin Reichauer, so like the, the Harvard method to learn it is they learn it in Romaji. That's right. Yeah, they do. Which. I can kind of see there's an there's, I can kind of see it makes an equal playing field because I studied I studied at UBC, and if you yeah. have with a kanji, it gives a distinct advantage to Chinese to the Chinese people or the you know people who have right, some right. experience with right, it. Right. So it makes it much more difficult. But okay. as a practical matter, there's nothing really written. There's there's nothing you can read. You know, yeah. you can't really read if you start out from Romaji. I don't know because. Right. Because you're making me think of something, too, because what years are you talking about right now? 1986, 7, around that time, right? And I came here in 74, and you are right. When you first got here, I guess it was starting to open up a little bit when you got a here, but bit. the psychic about the Japanese people and foreigners, first of all, foreigners thought it was impossible to learn the language, mm -hmm. and the Japanese had not seen enough foreigners speaking it well enough to believe anyone could. Well, yeah. You understand what I'm saying? So you didn't have, David Spector hadn't really burst the scene so much and he, he was just getting his he, footing. He, 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 he was, was just, getting his footing. He was just starting. I think but I remember... Kent Delegate, Kent Gilbert, those were the two. Yeah, yeah. two Mormons. And, out there. And, and Chuck Wilson. Chuck Wilson's my, he was my best man when we got married. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Chuck yeah. Wilson. That, that was the saying. first foreigner those, those I remember the, seeing on Chuck television. Chuck Wilson, and he was up there. He spoke Kansai back. 
Yeah. Chuck. I, I remember distinctly, yeah, he was the, I think he was the first foreigner that I saw on TV and kind of my host brother was translating for him and he, I believe he said, I would like to die in Japan. And I was like, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> guy, whatever happened to him? What did they do to this guy to make him want to die here? That's radical. He drank the Kool-Aid, didn't he? <laughs> That was, uh, yeah, I was reading that he introduced aerobics to Japan. Yes. Yeah. But yes. I, I don't, yeah, I don't really know. That's interesting. I mean, of course, I mean, this is a very different time because, you know, I, I don't want to take anything. Well, <laughs> I guess the Dave Spector, he's, he survived. But basically, oh, yeah. yeah, just being able to speak Japanese isn't, that, that wouldn't get you. Not anymore. Not anymore. No, no, no. Because no. yeah. you know who really blew it out the water? The Australians. They started coming over uh, here. When they came, listen, I remember mm. when it happened. <laughs> they came over here ready, and in a year, they were speaking really well. Mm. They came over here with no Japanese, and all they did was study, bingo. You had all these little white kids running around from Australia uh-huh. speaking Japanese well enough to do more than most people had ever heard. So the Japanese couldn't talk about how difficult language is anymore because they blew it out the water. They most definitely did. Yeah, that's a good point. That wasn't American. It was the Australians. Because I remember <laughs> uh, when I came on the, the, the JET program, I had to do a speech contest. And I thought, you know, Based on people around me, I thought I was doing pretty well. And then I got there, and this Australian girl who just came out of high school, and I was like, oh, maybe I should just go (laughs) home. (laughs) Maybe I should just fold up my speech and get out of here. I mean, really, they came over here, no joke. Yeah. And she she gave a very impressive speech, and it was very fluent. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't like us. (laughs) Watakshi wa Lansley desu. We were still doing that stuff. Yeah, they yeah. came over here and they blew it out the water. And uh-huh. I saw it when it happened. I watched mm. that and I said, "The Japanese are going to think they have a language nobody can speak anymore." <laughs> they just knocked out the water. Well, I mean, there was <laughs> everyone started doing it after that. Yeah, once Australians showed it could be done, uh-huh. there was no one that couldn't. Then listen, Iranians came. That. Everyone came. Yeah. In Africa. Everyone's over here. They speak Japanese like that now. So you came over here on the jet program. Yes. How long did you stay in the jet program? I here? stayed for two years. I and was where were you? I was in Nico. Oh, you went Nico to Nico. Nico to Tochi. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. So then after that, you went back. I went to UBC, University okay. of British Columbia, for one year right. to, to get study. your to get your LLC. Or? No, to study right. Japanese. To study Japanese. Yeah. So now you decided at that time. Well, did you have a girlfriend or something now? No. Okay. You hadn't. You didn't. Because that's usually a reason for a guy to want to study and come back. So, are well, you married? Are you married now? I'm married now. Yes. Is your wife Japanese? Yes. Do you have kids? Yes. How many kids? Do you Four have? kids. Okay. All you've only been married once. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Did you know? You said that. You said that, Chris, like as if you're not sure. <laughs> I think I've been. Well, really, physically, I have been. Mentally, <laughs> a lot of wives I've been thinking about. Anyway, so you have four kids. How old are your kids? Uh, my <laughs> daughter is 21, and my, oh, so I guess she's 20, 22, and okay, my, so. my son is, next son is 20, and then 17, and now 14. 17 year olds what? A girl or a boy? Uh, it's uh, th- uh, three boys, and, and my oldest one is a daughter. 
So you tried to copy your, your, your parents. The same thing. That gene must run through your family. I guess. <laughs> you just didn't have as many kids, but you did the same thing. One girl among all three boys. My goodness. Yeah. Are they all here in Japan? They're all here in Japan. They're all here in Japan. Yeah. By any chance, do they speak any English? Uh, yeah, they, some of them. Some, <laughs> some of them. Wait, wait, wait. Well, they, they have different interests. Different interests, ch okay. Children, yeah. Huh? So does your oldest daughter speak English? Not so much. She's okay. very Japanese. She's the Japanese. Yeah. Is she the most Japanese of the four of them? Uh, would you say? Yeah, I would say, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is she married now, or is she still no, single? She, well, so, she's yeah, 20, 22. I, 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 married, guess, well, listen, I guess they could. You I mean, it very yeah. easily. Yeah, that's possible. And I, but they're not getting married at all now. They're waiting until like they're, it's just, they're not doing it. I have four sons, uh -huh. and my they're all in their thirties as uh -huh. of this January, past January. One's gotten married, the third one got married, uh -huh. and the second one wants, is going to get married in May. Oh, but the oldest and the youngest are still waiting; they're not going to get married yet. Okay, but yeah, they it's interesting. Uh -huh. When did you decide to start living here? After you finished, after you went back after the jet program, did you decide to live here after that? Well, how long have you lived here? First of all, it's quite a long time. What's right. a long time? Well, I've been here continuously since 1997, and obviously I was here a little bit before that. Okay. So, um, I guess it's getting it's close to 30 years, right. <laughs> most of my life. I think it was more a plan that I didn't want to be living in Canada. I didn't have a particular plan to be living in Japan. But, but I you knew you didn't want to live in Canada. Well, I can't really go back to Canada. There's nothing, what would I do? <laughs> be the only one around there speaking Japanese. No, you can deal with Japanese tourists. I mean, yeah, it, it's, yeah, yeah, that's, it's, it's rather limited. I mean, the, the, basically from what I do, uh, I would have to, you know, I could, I could move to New York, I could move to Los Angeles, but there's, so what do you do? Although I know now some people with this remote work, they're moving back to Well, now Canada. it's easy. Now it's easier. Yeah. I mean, COVID changed the whole landscape. Yeah. So now you can live on an island yeah. if, you, if you do that type of work. Yeah. If yours is just... And it doesn't matter. If, is, if it's just you saying something or writing something, you don't have to be there anymore. Yes, yes. If it's just that. But if it's required yeah. physical labor of some sort, you need to be there. Yeah, I was very surprised I got a message from somebody who said they're moving back to Saskatoon. And I go, well, what are you going to do in Saskatoon? She said, I'm going to do what I'm kind of doing now, editing work. <laughs> but, I don't, but I don't need to live in Tokyo to do sure it. Don't. Isn't that so, interesting? Yeah. That's, We've, it changed the whole yeah. paradigm. Yeah. It's changed completely. So now we have a lot, let's get another physical, but now we have a lot of big office buildings that are empty. They're actually empty. There's nothing in there, and they can't bring the rent down. So they're just thinking, someone come up with an idea, please. Something, <laughs> something. This we can use this space. Well, come on, what are we going to do with all this? Because they built it up. We're at that era. They built it up for business purposes. Mm -hmm. Nobody has to do be there for business. Well, I mean, in law, that's <laughs> that's been the way it's been going. I mean, in law, it, it's been it's been quite a while since you would like have face to face. Meetings with clients. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, so that, that's what type of what kind of lawyer are you? I'm uh, mostly I do kind of corporate work, and okay. recently uh, I'm kind of special specializing into uh, employment and employment law. Okay. Yeah. Before I end the podcast, there's a question I like to ask: With the knowledge you have now and all of your experience. 
if you could magically go back in time and meet the younger Chris, what time would you go back to and what questions or what advice would you give him? Would you? <laughs> would you would you go back? I don't know if I would, like mm -hmm. because I you know you, you don't know. I guess that's the main thing that mm -hmm. I've learned is you just don't know how things will turn out. Right. You're happy where you are. Yes. Uh, I think basically my my view on that would be um, yeah yeah that, that's 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 the one the one thing I've really learned in my life is you just don't know how things are going to turn out. Mm -hmm. So I could go back in time and give myself some advice, but it could have an entirely different consequence than I'm thinking what it would do, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's basically my view. So like now I'm very, you know, even with my children, I'm kind of hands off. I don't say like, you got to do this or you got to do that, you know, because there are a lot of things, you know, that I thought you know, well, I mean, I guess the main thing was, you know, I thought, you know, when I came to Japan, in uh, particularly after being on the JET program, I thought, oh, well, this is just going to go to the limit, right? <laughs> That's what everybody was thinking back then, right? And now I kind of realized, oh, it didn't really go that way. <laughs> There's just so much you can't control. But, I mean... Um, uh, I don't think I would would change my my path necessarily in any case because you know, I, I like what I'm doing now. So that's beautiful. <laughs> that's just beautiful. like <laughs> that's I want to thank you, Chris. That's beautiful. I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Make sure you press like and subscribe, and never forget it's all on loan. So continue to reach for the stars because you're too blessed to be stressed. Thank you.